welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi, physical therapist and board-certified cardiopulmonary clinical specialist. This podcast is designed to discuss heart and lung conditions, treatment interventions, research, current trends, expert opinions, and patient experiences. The goal is to learn, inspire, and bring Cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Our episode today is sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software. The team at Jane recognizes how hard you work to support your patients or clients, and they aim to do the same for you. That's why Jane offers unlimited phone, email, and live chat support with every subscription. First, we recommend booking a personalized one-on-one demo with a member of their team. It's a great way to make sure Jane will be the right fit for you and your practice and to see Jane's features in action. And Jane even offers a free data import, an account setup consultation, and online training tools to help set you up for success. To get started, head over to jane.app backslash start. Their team would love to connect with you to see how Jane could help you and your practice. You can also use the code CardioPalm1MO at the time of sign up for a one month grace period applied to your new account. Thanks again, Jane. Hello, hello. We are back after a little Thanksgiving hiatus. I feel like I haven't talked to you in a little while, so apologies and welcome back. Um, It has, I don't know how your Thanksgiving was. Mine was pretty amazing. Um, We actually had family in town for the first time and we hosted my East Coast family, which is nine people. And we were pretty much uh, sprinting to the finish line. So Nikki and I did about five years worth of home projects in about two, two and a half months um, in preparation of them coming. And it was totally worth it. And we really were down to the wire. And so we kind of um, put everything we had <laughs> into it. So um, as you know, Nikki and I do a lot of DIY. We've been little by little attacking the house that we bought in 2017 and um, trying to do as much of it on our own that we can. And then we have to look at each other every so often and say, is this outside our scope and hire people in? So um, we've pretty much done a, a ton on our own. We have become professional DIYers at this point. Um but, you know, it's it's slow progress when you both work full time and you're doing it in like spare hours at night on weekends and um, still trying to remember to do lifey stuff from time to time. So um, things take longer and then there's decision fatigue and then all of a sudden projects get put off for a while. So we've actually um, have had a non-functioning second floor for gonna say a year, maybe a little over a year, um, which means we have been staying in our basement for about a year's time. So we've basically created a studio apartment in our basement and it has been part of our plan so that we can seamlessly do projects upstairs without having disruption of our life. And it has worked nicely. We really have done a lot of planning and foresight and things are working smoothly. But, you know, if you've done any sort of projects in your life, you know, everything takes longer than you anticipate. Um, So the summer was August ish. Um, I got word that my family was coming for Thanksgiving and we were like, Oh, gotta giddy up. So (laughs) we uh, full steam ahead had to make some hard decisions that we've been lingering for months on and get to work. So um, we have de-popcorned our entire basement and our entire second floor. And if you've ever tried to take popcorn off, it is a mess of a job, which is why we have been in the basement since starting that project. And uh, we are we are officially de-popcorn professionals. So if anyone needs any advice on how to take the popcorn, remove the 90s from your home, just reach out to us. We have a technique, we have a professional sander, and um, it's still, it's still a process. So Nikki is like the beast of an overhead presser with that sander. And I've got the, uh, 
you know, scrape technique down to a science as well as painting. Painting might be my my next career, <laughs> I think. Um, so anyway, we finally finished some big projects. We were really manifesting all good things on timing. We basically had to add, you know, furniture for beds for people to sleep in because we've only been two people in this house for quite some time. So um, timing just seemed to work. We had to coordinate multiple things and at no point were we ever ahead of schedule, but we were on time. And that is all you can ask for in life. And if you know anything about me, a deadline is like my... Uh, there's a word, the opposite of kryptonite. It is what gets me to do the thing and I will get it done. Like it will get done. Um, but we were literally down to the wire. So the day that my family came in, um, I had Nikki installing a handrail to our basement at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so it was like a whole mess. I painted the night before the handrail. It was really cold that day. The paint really wasn't drying the right way. It was sticky to touch. I wasn't happy with the color. I was like, let's just put it inside. Let's get the, th the damn thing on the wall. We're PTs. We're going to have people coming into our ba basement. Like we need a handrail. Um, and then once it was up, I decided to sand, repaint, do the whole thing while it was on the wall, which was probably not a great project to do same day, <laughs> but it had to get done. It got done. It was functional and looks good. And now it's, now it's up. We've now officially have a handrail to our basement. I don't think we've had a handrail up maybe for six years. So, um, give me a deadline and, <laughs> and we will make it happen. Um, but Thanksgiving was wonderful. It was awesome to have my family in the house. It was awesome to all be together, making Thanksgiving dinner together. Um, if you fo follow me on socials, um, you might know that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. It very much reminds me of my grandma. Um, I like can feel her presence on Thanksgiving day, making matzo ball soup, creating the stuffing, you know, getting the bird ready, all of the things. It's like she's in the kitchen with me. Always feel her presence on Thanksgiving. So it was wonderful to have my family with me again on Thanksgiving. It's been a, a few years since we've celebrated that holiday together. Um, I always thought, you know, like foreseeing the future, Thanksgiving would be my holiday. So it was nice to um, have the whole family in the house. Um, all went well. It was it was a great four or five days together. Um, and, you know, we had beds for, <laughs> for nine people to sleep plus us. So it was awesome. It was amazing. Um, I'm super grateful to have had that. Um, I've been gone for over 10 years. So this is the first time my whole family has been here. And so, you know, that just kind of fills my heart, fills my cup. I'm, I'm su super grateful how, um, how Thanksgiving went and just having them here was amazing, but it was quite the sprint to the finish line. And after Thanksgiving, I crashed a little bit, uh, just getting back into the swing of regular life again. So here we are, we are back. And, um, I realized that I am at my one year podcast anniversary. I actually need to check to see exactly what day I posted the first podcast, but it was December. Last year, December, I made the decision to create this podcast. Um, creating this podcast was a need. It was a need for me. And I think it was a need for the audience. Um, I feel like this space needed to exist and I, I had to create it. There was literally nothing that could stop me. And I felt like it was what I also needed. Um, you know, cardio palm isn't necessarily, uh, as they say, a sexy topic. Uh, I mean, I fully disagree. And you've heard me say, um, I'm going to change that. I'm going to make it a sexy topic. Um, but it's, it's amazing that it still really is not that popular of a topic in the world of physical therapy, despite the heart and lungs being such an integral part to everything that we do. 
So I actually just looked back. It was December 1st uh, that I created the first podcast and uh, we officially hit that one year anniversary. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Um, Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for listening. And for everyone who's reached out and chatted about an episode or um, told me that something resonated or that you used a technique in your session the next day, that is why I wanted this to exist and I hope it is serving you. So if there is a topic you want me to cover, if there's something that um, you'd like to discuss, and if you want to be a want to be inter- interviewed for something that you're doing in your hospital setting, for something that you're doing in your PT practice, please reach out. I am always happy to discuss cardiopulm topics. I'm always looking for different speakers. And um, I'm always looking for new topics. I have a running list of topics of things that I might podcast on, but I am honestly a little bit spontaneous with both my Instagram and my podcasting. And I, <laughs> I don't plan weeks and months in advance. I'm just, I'm not there yet. And also I have to, I, I typically feel a topic. So something may have happened. I may have been teaching on a webinar. A conversation may have, you know, come up. Someone may have reached out to me on a DM with questions and that kind of spurs the topic. Um, so I really haven't created a planning system to really project out. Um, but I do sometimes specifically if I have anyone come on to speak and, um, so If you have any topics you want me to talk about, again, if you are interested in coming on the podcast as a guest, I would love to have you. Um, Just reach out. Shoot me a DM on Instagram, or you can text me at 913-308-4494. I am much better at text communication than both phone and email. And if you know me, apologies. Uh, I am getting, (laughs) I am trying to get better at all of the things, but you know, some things are just innate to you. Text is super simple, super easy, super quick. um, And just like easy to do in the middle of the day, especially if you catch me at the hospital, it's very easy for me to text back versus taking a phone call. So um, I am truly grateful for you being here, for your support, for listening. Um, super appreciative and we're going to keep this thing going. So if you have enjoyed what you, if what you've heard, if you want to drop me some stars or a review, it would be greatly appreciated. If you want to send some topics my way, that would also be appreciated. Um, So thank you again, truly, truly. This has been a place that has needed to exist for both me and hopefully you. So if you've gotten some value um, in any kind of way, in any kind of way, um, I'm, I'm happy to have served you. All right. So what else? Is there anything else I wanted to chat about before jumping in? I think that, I think that's it. We had Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was a whirlwind. Uh, We're at one year with the podcast. I think, I think those were all the things I wanted to chat about before jumping in. Um, You know, this is kind of a place where I can get on my soapbox and, just kind of let it out. <laughs> and so if you've been listening and if anything resonates with you and like, you're like, yes, you know, this is, this is the reason why this thing has been created. Um, so I've been a PT for 14 years. I've been in multiple hospital settings across the country. I've seen lots of different um, things move towards the Midwest. I've also seen very similar trends. I've seen great PT culture. I've seen crappy PT culture. I've, I've seen a mix of things. Um, the topic I wanted to talk about today is really not underestimating age. And you might be thinking of like the older generation, and I am actually going to flip this on you. I'm talking about the younger generation. So especially in the acute care setting outside of like an orthopedic surgery, um, whether it's like a medical condition I sometimes see, again, this is across a number of places that um, maybe a younger person might not be consulted for PT or the opposite. PT might say, you know what, this person's young. And if they tell me that they're good to go, I'll, you know, accept that as clear. Um, It's very rare 
and I, I might be an outlier on this um, because I understand what it's like to have a huge list. I understand what it's like to have to prioritize your patients. Um, but even when someone tells me that they're good, I usually at minimum assess mobility just to check in and make sure that we're actually good. And then because I am who I am, I'm going to assess vitals, right? Like it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden we're into a full-blown eval. Um, so I had a patient recently and I've actually had a number of young patients recently in like pretty critically ill situations. I've had a number of patients with COVID who ended up intubated. Um, I've had a number of patients that are younger on CRRT and hemodialysis. Um, I've had a number of young women with cardiac conditions, like I had someone with tamponade the other day um, who I held because they had tamponade and, you know, were being worked up for pericardiosynthesis and the whole bit. Um, I've had a couple of recent cardiac arrest patients um, or, you know, heart attack in younger females. And I have seen this quite a bit where if you're in your 40s and say like you've had a stent placed, as long as you tell me like you've been up moving, it might be like good to go. But I kind of want to give a different perspective on this. So I had a recent patient who was early 50s female who had cardiac arrest. So really no past medical history, super unremarkable, not on any medications, which honestly, from what I see in the acute care setting, um, is kind of rare, right? Like in your 50s, not on any meds, no real past medical history to, you know, note. Um, what started the whole sequelae was um, an orthopedic surgery. So like NPTE people, if you're listening, orthopedic surgery, high risk for blood clots, post-surgery, possible PE, it is part of the reason why in an outpatient setting, if you have someone post TKA, post um, hip replacement, that you should be assessing vitals because PE, DVT is a commonality in those patients um, and you can catch something before something traumatic happens. So this woman, um, 53 years old, had a you know good overall health, fully independent previously, was exercising almost daily. Um, she was going to exercise classes somewhere between three and five days a week, working on power, strength, and endurance. I mean, really checking all the boxes as to the things that you should be doing. Um, wasn't using an assistive device, no history of falls, except she did have a recent fall. Um, kind of one of those freak accident type things versus loss of balance. So she got up in the middle of the night. She went to go use the bathroom. The dog was sleeping in the threshold and she did not see him and tripped over the, the pup and um, ended up needing rotator cuff surgery. So she had, I want to say rotator cuff surgery, let's say on a Wednesday and either on Friday or Saturday had a PEA arrest that is quite the circumstance. So post-orthopedic surgery clearly has some sort of thrombolic event. She has VTE. Um, and the going diagnosis or cause is bilateral PE resulting in cardiac arrest. There is some, I started digging a little bit in the cardiology notes. They're still not a hundred, they're still suspect about that situation because the PE burden didn't seem extraordinary enough to have caused the strain on the heart, but it is the running cause. So just kind of thinking a little bit about cardiac arrest and PE, just like from a um, percent, right? First of all, we talked about this a while ago. Um, cardiac arrest in the field has a very low risk of survival out in the field. You have a higher risk of survival in um, the hospital setting. I lost my stat, so I'm just looking for it really quickly. Um, but risk or a risk of mortality in the field post cardiac arrest is very high. Um, risk of mortality with PE period is about 30% risk. And then when you PE causes 
cardiac arrest, some stats are saying risk of mortality is as high as 95%. That's a huge number, right? Like that is a scary statistic. Um, so she had PEA arrest, pulseless electrical activity, which is a non-shockable rhythm. She did achieve ROSC in the field, return of spontaneous circulation, um, and then was brought to the hospital. Um, she ended up being intubated for a few days and then extubated, did really well, alert and oriented times four, um, vital signs relatively stable. I think she came off pressors pretty quickly. But she's 53 years old and was fully independent and actively exercising four days prior. She had already been up to the bathroom with the nurses. Um, verbally, she said she, you know, she feels good. She was super optimistic. She was very, um, very positive when we were chatting. Um, and it could have been one of those situations where she has good help at home. She had a husband and kids. She, you know, was independent previously. Probably could have been like, meh okay, you don't need me. False, right? In my mind, that's false. Um, she just had a major traumatic event to one of the most vital organs in the body. Her heart literally stopped. And now she's going to return to regular life. So from an acute care perspective, like you're part of helping determine, is she safe to return home? Yeah, 100%. But you're also part of helping this person overcome this event. We had trauma to the heart. The heart feeds blood and oxygen to every working muscle and organ in the body. Returning to prior level of function, returning to exercise should not be taken lightly, despite this being a young, healthy female. So I'm not trying to be like doomsy or anything like that. What I'm trying to convey is that as a physical therapist, you have a ton of ability and knowledge to help this person return to life safely. And as a PT in the acute care setting, we should be assessing functional, mo functional mobility, not solely, but along with its hemodynamic response. So she was amazing. She, like I said, she was super optimistic. She was very positive, but she was also very self-aware. And she was like, I am so amazed that we were doing a warm-up. We were doing a warm-up prior to ambulating, prior to standing. And so we were doing heel raises, long quads, hip flexion, all the things. And she stopped at like rep eight of a long arc quad, right? I know I've talked about um, doing seated therex previously and like how sometimes people are like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's useless or it's not good enough. But this is a perfect example as to why it's beneficial. So let's break it down. We are, the purpose of me doing seated therex with this person. It's multifold. One, I'm assessing strength and endurance, right? Like I MMT'd her. She's physically strong. She's probably the first five out of five I think I've given in, I can't even tell you how long. But she just had this traumatic event on her heart. So I want to see what her heart rate response is with these exercises. I want to see if she's symptomatic. And I am utilizing this time as a warm-up to prepare her heart for activity. Warm-up and cool-down are so important with your patient, specifically this patient. So we're, she's like up to long arc quads, and she gets to rep eight of one left side. We were doing, she was doing left long arc quads. We haven't even made it to the right leg yet. And she literally said, I can't, this is, this feels hard. And I, I said, yeah, it, it might. First of all, you've been down for a few days. 
Second of all, you're asking your heart to send blood and oxygen to your legs to perform this task. Heart just had some trauma. So let's respect the process. And I think that it, that's so important for the patient to know and also for the therapist, right? Sometimes we see 53-year-old female who's completely independent, like actively exercising three days before. You don't need me. Yes, she does. Because she is not at her baseline. She might look at her baseline, but she's not at her baseline. She was just intubated for a number of days. She required pressors to maintain her blood pressure support. And her heart literally stopped. And she still has active PEs, right? Like the PEs still exist. So we had this whole conversation like, yeah, this is going to feel like work. Things that did not feel hard before will feel hard initially. But also give that future perspective. It won't always feel hard, but we have to work our way back to where we were. And that's also important from a safety perspective for this patient once she go home, once she goes home, that she can't just return to what she was doing previously. And I'm not even talking about going back to the gym. I'm talking about regular life, right? Doing the stairs might feel harder. Doing the stairs while carrying a laundry basket going to be harder. Walking around a grocery store and maybe carrying bags will be harder. Respect that. That is super important to be aware of, right? So we were having this conversation. Uh, we were, I was watching heart rate, blood pressure response, all the things. Um, she did have an increase in her blood pressure with seated therex, not extraordinary, appropriate. Um, so we went from 143 over 82 to 150 over 77 with seated therex. Her oxygen sats were actually pretty good. She was kind of sitting 95% throughout, um, but she was holding back a cough. And when she did cough, it sounded wet and rattly. So here's like a whole nother piece. She was intubated. Intubation likely causes increased mucus secretion creation, um, atelectasis, and diaphragm weakness. So it's time to assess lungs. It's time to assess diaphragm. It's time to incorporate breathing. And we're going to start talking about cough assessment. So she had a PEA arrest. She received chest compressions and I think at least one round of epi before achieving ROSC. Um, chest compressions is like trauma. And the patient is going to feel pain and soreness for some time post-CPR. She did not have any active rib fractures, but she was sore. She was like, it just, it all hurts. She also had some like abdominal pain, um, like soreness, like sore to touch. So like chest and belly, uncomfortable with coughing. So part of my intervention on this day, besides assessing cough and breathing and chest wall mobility and auscultation, was also to teach her how to splint. And so we use the pillow vertically so she could get both sternum and abdomen. Um, I taught her how to do a huff cough. I taught her how to perform a functional cough. And um, I also told her of its importance because she was really suppressing it. Um, so anyway, like just part of the whole thing. And so we sit up, I explained why we were taking blood pressure again. She did have a drop in blood pressure and she went from 150 over 77, like I said, was directly post-seated therex. And then she went to 135 over 81. So she had a 15 point drop in her systolic blood pressure. Her MAP was pretty stable all around. She was like 96 to 100, um, but she still had a 15 point drop. So she's not technically orthostatic, but I'm also not going to minimize that response. Um, she was still technically 10-ish from her initial blood pressure. So 
I'm still paying attention, right? She was asymptomatic. She's like, I feel good. I feel good to stand. This is like very exciting. She, um, she was so, um, like I said, she was so optimistic, so positive and like true mom fashion was like, I just feel so bad for my kids that they had to go through this. Like that was her concern in the moment. So she was super excited that she was standing. She was like, please send a picture to my sons. You know, that's its own conversation, but she literally beat the odds. And who am I to stop that? So um, I, you know, I gave her the whole spiel about signs and symptoms to pay attention to. She was on telly and SPO2 the whole way. She did really well from a vital sign perspective. I gave her the talk that like, today's the first day. So we don't like, we are not going to overdo it. You really got to pay attention to how you're feeling. And once we get to the point that we need to turn around, like, I want you to be in, like, you let me know how we're doing, how much energy do we have in the tank? I'm sure everyone has their spiel on how they give that talk. Um, and so I checked in probably more frequently than I do other patients because I had the vibe that she was going to try really hard. If that makes sense. Like her first thought was that her kids, her, you know, how her kids felt about all of this happening. I could tell that she wasn't necessarily going to tell me if something was changing. And so I made her do the turnaround and then I checked back in one more time and I was like, you good? And she's like, well, I thought I may have just been dizzy, but I'm okay. And so at this point now, I really don't trust. <laughs> I'm like, you know, a full guard. I'm watching heart rate. Heart rate's looking good. Maybe a PVC here and there, but nothing extraordinary. No change in rhythm. No significant increase in heart rate. When we got back to the room and sat back down, I could tell her demeanor had changed. And I was like, what are you feeling? She's like, hmm. I'm cold and clammy and um, really shaky. It's like legs up, reassess blood pressure. Like I said, vitals were looking good. Also had her pacing her breath the whole way. And I noticed that she was suppressing a cough again. And I was like, okay, like let's figure out what's happening here. We're ankle pumping. Vitals are good. I'm like, do you have to cough? She's like, yeah, I'm holding it back. I'm like, let's not do that. So she coughed. She actually got a huge mucus plug out and she was like, wow, I feel so much better. We're part of that piece. <laughs> like we are part of this whole picture from breathing to pacing, to interval training, to returning to strengthening. And we have to be part of that process and we have to educate our counterparts that we should be part of that process and taking on that patient, actually evaling that person, keeping this person on schedule is part of that process. I had another piece that I was going to pull from that. It's gone. It's gone forever. But teaching your patient signs and symptoms of exercise intolerance, teaching your patient how to pace themselves, teaching your patients how to progress so that when you're not physically with them, they can check in with themselves is skilled. Assessing vital sign response through all of the things, skilled. And you made a different a difference for this person. Um, breathing, interval training, strengthening. I will die on this hill. The trifecta. I have a episode at the start of this whole podcast. I think it was like episode two, maybe episode three. I will live and die on this hill are probably the three most important interventions that you can provide for any patient. This patient was intubated. This patient will have atelectasis and increased mucus production and likely diaphragm weakness will benefit from breathing. Breathing also has tremendous effect on the heart, helps lower blood pressure, helps slow heart rate. There's some receptor um, ability that can change with diaphragm strengthening that actually affects the whole system. I might do a whole episode on that. I still have to do RMT. It's like on my 
lists of things to do. Breathing is so beneficial. You cannot do anything without breath. Breath control is so important. In this patient who also had chest compression, chest wall mobility, not being fearful of coughing and actually clearing the mucus to allow for gas exchange. Like this woman was on room air and she was just into, she was just exubated less than a half a day. She was setting 95%, but that was likely not what she was setting beforehand, right? Like we can help make that better. You are part of the solution. That assessment was chest wall mobility, auscultation, um, IE ratio assessment, watching respiratory rate, assessing blood pressure, heart rate response with activity, teaching how to self-pace, teaching that interval, right? So we had this whole discussion after the fact. Her vital sign response wasn't terrible, to be quite honest. On return from her um, short distance ambulation was 149 over 84, technically was appropriate, wasn't exaggerated with the activity that we did from the number we started at. Maybe a little flat from the starting number, but from the 135 is actually relatively appropriate. Heart rate response was pretty flat, but she was symptomatic. And it took her about five minutes to come down from that diaphoretic shaky feeling. Was it because she was suppressing a cough? Could have played a role. Is it because she may have done a little too much? Probably, right? So even though she didn't have a dramatic drop in blood pressure, she had an inappropriate response. She was symptomatic post-ambulation. She did have some increased PVCs on return as well. Noted, let the nurse know all of the things. The question then is, how does she progress from here? Her next walk should probably not be further than that. As a matter of fact, she should probably shorten it just a little bit and be asymptomatic before she progresses. Interval training is key for these patients. Activity pacing, teaching that response time, so beneficial. Working for an appropriate response, so beneficial. So this patient walked, it must have been like 120 feet-ish, 140 feet. If we were to do that three times, let's say 100 feet, she did 100 feet three times, she would be 100 feet three times. That's how you document it. You don't document 300 feet. Those are two separate things. If you require seated rest break, if you have to reassess vital signs, if the person is sitting or standing before resuming the next 100 feet, that is interval training and you should document as such. And I will argue that that is probably a better choice than barreling to a further distance period. I will live and die on the hill. Okay. Breathing, aerobic training, usually with interval training and strengthening are so key post heart event. Strengthening so important, right? So not only are you physically strengthening and conditioning at the peripheral muscles, you're also increasing and improving peripheral circulation and gas exchange, which makes that person more efficient. So all of those pieces work together. There's a ton of overlap. There's benefit to each of them. I honestly don't think there's one better than the other. I very much believe all three are so, so important in incorporating into your uh, plan of care. For her as well, because she has increased mucus production, pain um, at the sternum and abdomen, airway clearance techniques, huge. Teach them how to huff cough. Teach them an appropriate functional cough. What most people typically do, and I've had a number of patients do this recently, is when you ask them to cough, they just exhale. Number one, they might not know to take a big inhale, but two, like they're trying not to cough too powerfully because it's going to hurt. Once you get that inhale to increase, that exhale is going to be so much more powerful and effective. And although it might be painful in the moment, you will be more efficient in actually moving that mucus maybe in one cough versus 10. So it's a huge piece to the puzzle. If your person has mucus production, ronchi on 
uh, auscultation, we should be doing airway clearance techniques. For her, we did inspiratory holds versus stacked breathing because she was able to achieve it. And as soon as she did an inspiratory hold, she coughed, right? And so you'll see that quite a bit when you have patients that have a ton of mucus, that hold will sort of um, trigger a cough response. Inspiratory hold is probably my favorite breathing exercise because it has so much benefit. You've heard me talk about it before. I'm like the inspiratory hold person because it can be used for so many different patient populations. And it's not just a breathing exercise. I kind of clump it with airway clearance techniques. So not only is it going to help increase gas exchange from someone who has atelectasis or pulmonary edema, it's also going to help facilitate a cough and train multiple phases of that cough. I love me an inspiratory hold. If she couldn't perform it because of pain, I would have switched to stacked breathing. But she was able to, so we did inspiratory holds. We did huff cough technique with splinting. We did functional cough. We did pacing with our um, ambulation. We assessed vital signs throughout. We did a warm-up and cool down. And we done we did a ton of education. Yes, she's 53 years old and independent four days ago, but she got a lot going on right now. <laughs> And I didn't even mention she's in a left upper extremity immobilizer. So we got some things to work on and she's, she's going to have, you know, a little bit of a recovery period. So from both the inpatient perspective and outpatient perspective, I want you to think about this, right? This person just had PEA arrest. She had VTE likely from, let me do that again. She had VTE from her orthopedic surgery that she had two or three days ago, she is now eventually going to be back in outpatient, not just for cardiac rehab, which I really hope that she um, is consulted for and goes to, but for her shoulder. <laughs> so this patient is going to be in your outpatient clinic for a rotator cuff. My outpatient peeps, vital signs vital sign response. Okay. We are assessing vital sign. We're just assessing vitals at start and at minimum end of session. If you're not doing anything aerobically challenging, because you may have been the one to catch that PE, high heart rate, low SPO2, chest pain, um, big precursors to PE, orthopedic surgery, big cause of DVT. So here's my plug again. Hashtag vitals are so vital. We need to be assessing them in all settings of physical therapy. And we need to understand that there's skill behind the assessment. And you can likely progress your patient better from an aerobic perspective if we are assessing vitals. So last piece, don't let young age keep you from seeing a patient specifically in the inpatient setting. Outpatient peeps, assess vitals. Because there are a number of things that we might catch even before we start our session. Okay. So we have a big role to play here. Um, I think education is so important to our patient. I think education in our PT departments is so important, right? Making this a thing. Um, and also just like utilizing your skill and scope of practice, period. And you've heard me say this before. I'm actually going to bring back an episode at the end of this month that I did. I think it was March um, because I think we need to hear it. I had a wonderful episode with a colleague and friend of mine, Tina Fields, and we talked all about scope of practice. And if you didn't catch it on the PT Pinecast Network back in March, uh, back in May, I'm going to bring it back at the end of December uh, to close out the year on this podcast because, man, was that a banger of an episode. Hit so many big topics and really just put the onus on us um, because we are so knowledgeable and we can really help our patients tremendously in so many different facets of our um, settings. And we should do that. So, you know, I'm always going to I'm always going to promote. I'm always going to. Um, advocate for both the patient and our profession and 
give you give you my perspective on things. So I hope that was helpful for you. If you've had a patient like this and either you had the same finding or maybe you thought this person will be fine, either way, let me know. Um, and if I maybe have changed your mind or not changed your mind, same thing, let me know. If this hit and resonated and you're like, you know what, I'm going to kind of change my perspective on this, let me know. Um, Again, I am so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful that you listen. I'm so grateful I have the ability to discuss cardial palm topics and give some of my knowledge and serve you. Um, and so if I'm, if anything is hitting for you, let me know because it, it also helps me steer next episodes. Again, if you're interested in like talking on this podcast and you want to be a guest, hit me up. Um, Tell me what topic you're interested in and we'll make it happen. I'm always interested in hearing a different perspective or your expertise. And um, the more conversations we can have about this topic, the more change we can make in our profession and the more patients we can help more effectively. And at the end of the day, that is always the goal. All right. Um, I think that's all I got for you today. If you have any commentary, if you have any pushback, if you're like, yes, shoot me a DM, shoot me a text. I'm going to read this to you because I still don't know it at 913-308-4494. And again, I am much better with text communication than phone or email. So if you want to get to me or you want me to answer quickly, that's the best method. Apologies for anyone who's ever sent an email and I take longer than expected to uh, return. And same for phone. If you can, If I'm in the hospital, there's no way I can pick up or if I'm on a call, same thing. So text is the easiest way to get me or DM because, you know, same thing. Same, same. All right. I hope that was helpful for you. I can never say that. I hope that was helpful for you. Um, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Whatever you have to do, again, after.